Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 225. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy and co-founder of the Lend at Fintech conference. Today's episode is sponsored by Lend at Fintech USA, the world's largest fintech event dedicated to lending and digital banking. It's happening on May 13th and 14th, 2020 at the Javits Center in New York. Lending and banking are converging and Lend at Fintech immerses you in the most important trends of the day. Meet the people who matter, learn from the experts and get business done. Lend at Fintech, lending and banking connected. Go to lendit.com USA to register. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome back Noah Breslow. He is the CEO of OnDeck. This is actually his third appearance on the Lend Academy podcast. He was on in 2014 and 2016. But I wanted to get him back on because there's a lot that's happened in OnDeck's world. They've, they've become profitable. They've, they've announced they're going to apply for a bank charter, uh, which we, we talk about in some depth. We also talk about their lending business and, you know, how they're growing that, how they're competing against the likes of, you know, PayPal Square and Amazon. And uh, we talk about transparency and the smart box initiative. And we talk about uh, ODX and their, and the bank partnerships that they have. It was a fascinating interview. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the podcast, Noah. Hey, thanks so much, Peter. Great to be here today. Okay, so you actually have a you have a distinct honor today. You know, you are the very first person to appear on the Lend Academy podcast three times, which obviously speaks to your longevity for one thing. And so maybe we get started. Maybe you could just what do you, what do you think? is the secret to your longevity in your job, given the fact that obviously many of your compatriots, fintech CEOs, you know, have come and gone during your tenure. So why do you think you have, you're still, you know, you've had such good longevity here? Well, first of all, that's really uh, cool to know that, that, you know, I'm the first person to appear uh, three times on the podcast. <laughs> so that's a great honor. Thank you for having us back. Of uh, you know, the longevity thing is interesting. You know, I, one of my board members, I, I think, summed it up reasonably well. Uh, she said um, that I guess I'm adaptable. And I think when you look back over the 12 years of On Deck, you know, we, we've had to adapt. Uh, when the yep. company started, uh, you know, back in 06 and 07, we immediately had, you know, kind of a huge economic recession. We had to adapt uh, to that environment. Then kind of our hyper growth years, uh, we sort of adapted to that model, you know, raised a lot of capital, were able to scale the business. Then, as I'm sure we'll get into, you know, we went public and had to sort of adapt once again to becoming a profitable financial services company as opposed to sort of a hyper growth uh, privately held company. And now I think, you know, we're starting to reap some of the benefits of that decision to, to get profitable. And so, yeah, I guess, you know, at one level, I'm adaptable uh, too. you know, it's no secret. I love what I do. I mean, I love, love the folks at OnDeck and, and the team that we've built here. I love the mission that we're on. I love working on small business lending. I think it's a really important thing to, to solve in the economy. And uh, yeah, so, so I guess I'm, I feel honored to have uh, been able to serve this long and hopefully we'll get to continue to do so uh, in the future. Yes, yes, indeed. So, so you know, we, you, you just touched on it. The one thing I want to get right off the bat here is next month is five years since, uh, since you went public. And you know, obviously it's been, it's, it, it hasn't been all smooth sailing, but I, I'd just be like to get your perspective on, you know, if you take yourself, taking back five years, you know, knowing what you know now, would you have done anything differently uh, back in 2014? 
Uh, it's a great question. I mean, um, and certainly one I ask myself periodically. And, and so, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But I, I go back to a couple things. One is, you know, some advice we got from from someone in the industry before we went public, which was that the category leaders, you know, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, generally go public eventually. And so we always felt that on deck was being built to last, being uh, versus being built to sell. Uh, and we had several opportunities to to sell the company when we were a private company, mm-hmm. and we 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 passed on them because we really felt and believed in the long term vision of of what we were doing. So I think if you believe you're building a company for the long term and you believe you're one of the leaders in your category, you know, going public is probably something that you eventually do. Of course, we've learned things uh, in the last five years, and, and I think chief among them are the way we positioned the company as we went public. So we went public, you know, with more of a technology positioning. Um, but at the end of the day, we're a technology-driven business that has a financial services business model. Almost all of our income comes from lending, mm-hmm. uh, and, and not just lending, uh, but, you know, really spread lending, right? We retain the risk on our loans. We maintain a balance sheet. And so, you know, I think our positioning there and our valuation probably should have reflected the financial services nature of the business a bit more than it did. That was sort of really lesson one. Lesson two, I think, is just sort of the stage of of where the company was when we went public and that, you know, we were still loss making when we went public. And as we've learned, you know, once you get the company profitable, a lot more of your value as a company can be in your current year financial, you know, metrics as opposed to some long-term, you know, point in the future where an analyst models that you'll turn profitable. And so when you have that, it can lead to a lot of volatility in your, in your projections and, and your stock price. And so, you know, that being said, uh, we were able to raise, you know, over $200 million for our balance sheet, you know, at an attractive price. And, you know, we haven't had to raise equity uh, in five years, nor do we expect to in the future. In fact, we're actually buying back our stock now, mm-hmm. given, given our level of profitability. And so I think uh, ultimately it made the company stronger, a better run company, more disciplined. Um, but certainly, uh, you know, I, I don't want to claim the last five years have been, have been smooth sailing. They obviously haven't. And, and there's something we can learn from that. Right, right. And yeah, speaking of profitability, I think it's one of the, one of the knocks on the, on the, the, the fintech lending sector is that there's, the, there's a lot of loss making companies out there. And, you know, I know that you guys really switched focus to profitability. I don't know, it might have been two years ago now, but you're certainly ahead of the, mm-hmm. ahead of yep. the game. So what, what do you think? What was the driving forces that kind of, that put you over the edge towards profitability? Yeah, I think a couple things. We really we we did change our capital market strategy in 2016, so that's that's call it three years ago now. You know, where we we had gone from a hybrid model of selling some of our loans off balance sheet and and holding a, a good good amount of the loans as well to a model where we held all the loans, and that mm-hmm. was the first step I think in stabilizing the business model. When we had been selling loans off balance sheet, there were gain on sale you know, uh, amounts that would change quarter to quarter. There was credit demand that was a lot more volatile quarter to quarter. So that was sort of step one towards getting the company, I think, more more stable. And step two uh, was in 2017, which is probably the hardest year we've been through in, in the 12 years of on deck, which was, um, you know, we, we made the decision to restructure. We laid off a percentage of our staff and really uh, reduced our expense base. And we sort of set a goal in the beginning of 2017 to get profitable by the end of the year uh, on a a true gap profitability as well, not an adjusted EBITDA or or non-gap metric. And we achieved that. 
um, but it wasn't without cost. It was it was a it was a painful process to to go through, and we learned a lot of lessons about about the company and about leadership uh, through that. But but I think it was the right thing to do as a lending business. Ultimately, you have to be profitable. You have to be growing book value and your equity base, you know, quarter over quarter. And I will say it's really uh, paid dividends now. Um, our cost of capital as a as a borrower uh, in the capital markets has come down partially because of that profitability. Mm-hmm. We made our first acquisition last year partially because of that profitability allowed us to do that. And I think you'll see us make more moves over the coming years where we leverage the profitability we have in the business uh, to to expand and grow. Right, right. Okay. So I want to, I want to dig into the, to your lending business uh, for a little bit here. And maybe we just get started. I mean, you, you know, you have your term loans, you have your lines of credit. Maybe you could just tell us what is the, what's the rough mix today between those two products? Yeah, so the rough mix is, uh, I think it's 78% of our book, uh, is, is the term loan product today. About 22% of our book is, is the line of credit product. Okay. And, and the term loan, what's sort of the, like, what's the sort of average of the term loan? How, how long do you go out on average? Yeah, so on average, our term loans are, are right now hovering around 13 months. That's kind of a dollar-weighted average, not a uh, loan-weighted average. Right. And But we go from three to 36 months uh, in, in terms of range. But really, the, the majority of the on-deck offers uh, and what customers uh, are looking for from us today are really between six and 24 months. That's kind mm-hmm. of the, the, the vast majority of the portfolio. Right, right. And I mean, what, what, let's talk about underwriting. What, how has your underwriting changed or has it changed much this year? And are you looking, are you tightening things up in preparation for maybe a turn in the credit cycle? What, where, where are you at with that? Yeah, no, I, I, you know, this is all, all in our, in our earnings calls, of course, but. Um, we did make some changes earlier this year, so we pulled back a bit based on some, uh, you know, kind of signals we saw in our data or early in the year. And I would say that, you know, we were a little bit ahead of the curve on that in, in, in the sense that the Fed at the time, people thought the Fed was going to be raising rates all year. And it turns out now we've lowered rates, you know, several times this year. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, so I think we did see some signals uh, in the economy that eventually, uh, were picked up in other places. And what we've now been doing for the last sort of four or five months is really focusing on what we call our offer quality initiative. So kind of, uh, focusing in on the top third of borrowers that we approve and basically offering them slightly better, uh, loan amounts, slightly longer terms, slightly better pricing. And, and I think on the margin, trying to increase our dollars in the portfolio from the, that top third of, of borrowers. And so as a result of that, you know, the average FICO score in our portfolio has never been higher. We just had a securitization price last Friday, and that securitization is the first actually AAA rated securitization in the online small business loan market. So, you know, the rating agency, I think, picked up both on the company's profitability and on the improved uh, quality in the portfolio. And so I think it's a, it's a great position for us to be in kind of late in the cycle. We, we obviously are cognizant of where we are. We don't know when the downturn will happen, but it definitely will. And, uh, and so we think really focusing on our best borrowers uh, is, is the right move right now. Right. Of course, you could be like Australia, though, and, go, and we, we could go 20, what is it, 26 years, I think, since Australia's had a recession. So, uh, yeah, you, you, nev- you never can tell. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> That is true. And I will say, you know, obviously there's a lot of political pressure on the Fed to keep rates low, to keep the economy growing. So we are, we are, you know, I think the the critique of what we are doing is that if if it in turn, the the recession doesn't happen for three more years, we're probably a little bit under investing in growth right now. Um, But obviously, you know, in a lending business, we, we, again, we're playing for the long term here and and we want to make sure if a a recession does happen, we're, we're set up right. Right, right. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, so the last year or two, we've seen a real surge in uh, in some in, in some interesting competitors in the space. You know, we've got PayPal, 
who are doing you know, huge volumes now in small business lending. We've got Square that are also doing a lot, and Amazon's doing some. And these are, these are obviously you know, big tech companies, deep pockets, and with all having sort of some sort of proprietary you know, access to you know, proprietary data on the, on the businesses that they underwrite. First, do you see these companies when you go head-to-head in the market? And, and if so, how, how do you compete with those kinds of companies? Yeah, I think um, to answer the second part of your question, you know, in terms of do we see them, we absolutely do. I, I think, you know, not just, you know, PayPal, Square, Amazon, um, but you have some online lenders, too, that are getting bigger uh, themselves. And so I think you see a classic, you know, kind of scenario where a market is maturing. So going from, call it, 40 or 50 smaller players over time, you know, it'll consolidate down to, you know, six to 10 kind of players that have scale, and all of us will have different competitive advantages. You know, I do think the arrival of the closed-loop players in our market, we call them closed-loop because they do have an existing merchant base and a data feed, as you noted, um, is, is probably the most important development in the industry in the last couple of years. And, you know, I think a couple of things uh, will, will play out here, and, and we still think we're well-positioned to grow and win in this market, but we obviously have to be careful where and how we compete. So, you know, I think those players are generally much stronger underwriting their own merchants, um, and some of them don't have the capability to underwrite merchants that are not on their platform. And one of the advantages of the on-deck approach is we can underwrite any small business, uh, regardless of, of who they process their payments with. Um, the other thing is we have a more holistic view of the business. So certainly, you know, payment processing data is one data source, and having access to that helps. Um, there are other ways to get access to that particular data set, so it's not that that data is impossible to, to get to. One, two, what we learned over the years is that no single data source carries the day. And so when you see a business that has a diversity of revenue streams and, uh, and maybe has a more complex balance sheet, maybe needs to borrow a little bit more capital, you know, I think that's where OnDeck has a real edge. We can often outlend uh, those companies that you mentioned on, on sort of from a time basis, from an amount basis, from a speed basis as well. Clearly in the smaller end of the spectrum, so if someone is looking to borrow $10,000 for their business, you know, I think that sector is now quite competitive. Um, yeah. So the players you mentioned, all the online lenders, uh, the pure play online lenders go after it. And to some degree, consumer lenders are going after that space as well, because mm-hmm. a small business owner is a consumer as well and, and can maybe borrow from a player like a lending club or a SoFi or so forth. So I think that's really it. The smaller end of the market is very competitive right now, but we still feel differentiated as the loan sizes get a bit bigger and the terms get a bit longer. Right, right. Okay. So I want to just talk about transparency and you know, you've, you've, um, I know you're, you were one of the founders of the Smart Box Initiative, which is giving a comparison tool so small business lenders can see mm-hmm. the different, uh, different ways that, that, that a, how much a loan is going to cost them. So, you know, we, California has, has passed a, has passed a law to mandate, you know, more disclosure and, and focusing on a lot on APR. So, are you, I guess, what, what's the impact of the California law on you guys? And then are you seeing sort of traction with the smart box initiative? And what's going on with transparency? Yeah, so transparency is incredibly important. You know, uh, as online lending continues to grow, 32% of small business owners uh, tried an online loan that's up in 2018. That's up from like 16% or something in, in 2016. So, mm-hmm. you know, as the industry grows and goes from kind of alternative to mainstream, the focus on consumer protection and, and transparency is going to be front and center. I do think we were reasonably ahead of the curve when us and the other members of the um, ILPA, the Innovative Lending Platform Association, uh, rolled out the smart box. I think that was like two or three years ago now. So, so it's, uh, it's been out there for a while. And we were actually fairly involved in the drafting of the California bill. So we, we, you know, worked with 
uh, legislators to educate them on online lending. Uh, we showed them the smart box. Uh, the smart box has always disclosed APR, and and so uh, we largely feel the smart box satisfies the requirements of the California bill. Maybe modulo a couple small adjustments. So so I think our that's really our strategy is, and I think you'll see small business loan uh, disclosure bills, you know, cropping up in a few other states. We have our eye on a few other states where they're they're kind of um, in discussions. And our goal really is to come in uh, to the states to educate on on the economic impact, the positive economic impact of online small business lending, and then offer up. Smartbox is a tool that, uh, you know, could potentially be a, um, rather than inventing something from scratch, uh, gives you a template uh, to work off of. And so that, I'd say we've been pretty successful on that so far. And, you know, in terms of Smartbox adoption, uh, we've continued to expand membership in the ILPA. And we've also uh, gotten Smartbox now in, in slightly localized uh, forms adopted in Australia. Uh, speaking of Australia, so the, the top seven online small business lenders in Australia have now agreed to adopt the smart box, and we're working on a similar measure up in Canada uh, where we have a business uh, as well. So, so, yeah, so the hope is to make it kind of the de facto loan disclosure uh, for, for the industry. And, and I think regulators appreciate that, and, and no doubt it's going to be a critical issue for the industry over the next couple of years as, as adoption continues to grow. Right, right. Okay. Okay, so I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about bank charters. So, you know, you, you announced um, earlier this year that you were going to yep. pursue a bank charter. So why do that and why do it now? So the decision to pursue a bank charter was not one we take lightly, mm-hmm. and it was really done after several years of, of careful study. And and because uh, I think we had said even prior uh, to the last couple of earnings calls that we had been exploring uh, different bank charter uh, options, and so so why now? I think you know one is we're reaching a level of scale where we're really a national uh, business, and you know sort of thinking about long-term regulatory structures for our industry. Uh, we think there's some advantages to being a nationally chartered bank uh, in terms of rate exportation uh, would be one. In terms of consistency of, of laws and the application of laws across all 50 states, kind of more generally than just rate, too, is, is another. And then, you know, as you mentioned earlier, you know, we're probably late cycle. We don't know when the next cycle will turn. But the stability of bank deposits as a funding source is not lost on us. And there's a long history of monoline or, or you know, very um, you know, limited number of product lenders turning into banks. And, you know, rather than wait for an economic cycle to happen and kind of turning into a bank on our back foot, I mean, we felt like the company was mature enough to, to go on our front foot. The other part of the now uh, gets to the readiness of on deck to, to take on a bank charter. So over the last couple of years, you know, turning profitable obviously really improves the stability positioning of the company. All the compliance we've had to build out being a publicly traded company and also running our ODX business, I think positions us well, uh, you know, to interact with regulators you know, in that new way. And we've also updated our, our management team and board of directors with a, a number of folks who have substantial banking uh, experience. So Ken Browse, our CFO, who joined us from CIT, you know, bought a, a bank while he was at CIT and has, you know, 30 years of financial industry experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, we added two executives um, to our board last year as well uh, who have that experience. So I think the, the now is partially a function of on deck being ready and partially a function of our scale. 
And I think partially a function of wanting to make sure our business is, is stable and um, a reliable source of funding for our small business customers, regardless of where we are in the cycle. Right. So do you anticipate then being like a full service bank where you've got a whole range of different products? I mean, I presume you're going to maintain your small business focus, but are you, are you looking at like small business checking accounts, small business savings accounts? Are you going to have a consumer element to the you know, deposit gathering? You know, what, what's the on-deck bank going to look like? Yeah, so we've been a little bit uh, tight-lipped about this publicly until we're more uh, ready to <laughs> announce kind of the method and plans for, for, for obtaining a bank charter. Um, but what I can say is, you know, that small business focus, absolutely. That, that's our bread and butter. It's our core customer. And this is really about, you know, hearing from our customers that they don't always feel well-served by their existing products that are out there in the market. And, and small business has always been a bit of the forgotten stepchild, right, between, between large commercial customers and, and the large scale of consumer banking, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so we think that, a, you know, a digitally integrated front end that combines kind of savings, checking, and lending uh, and really timely lending options that can leverage some of the data uh, that we're able to um, you know, share with our customers and know about their business, um, we can be a better partner uh, to them. So, you know, I think a little bit TBD on, on the consumer piece of this, I think, uh, you know, but, the, but, but getting back to our strategic focus, it really is on, on doing the best we can for our, our small business customers who have been somewhat uh, underserved. So that's the thinking uh, for now. And certainly as we get further down the road on this, we'll, we'll talk more about what our plans are. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. And I know you've, you can't really share much, but I mean, can you at least share, like, is your, is your timetable that you had laid out for this, is, are you on track with that? We are. And, but, but again, I can't say too much <laughs> about the specifics. So, you know, suffice it to say, uh, I think it was our second quarter earnings call where we, we changed yep. the public facing language around this from sort of exploring to pursuing. We felt we kind of had to do that given how far we were getting in the process. And we want our investors and, and the community around on deck to not be surprised, you know, if, if we in the next, you know, X number of quarters uh, make, make a, an announcement sort of more, more specific about what our plans are. And so, so we felt like that was the right kind of pre, pre-signaling uh, to do. And, uh, and we are on track for, for our timetable. Um, and so we wouldn't have, have made that change in language if we felt like we were years away from detailing what our plans are, but we're definitely not, not weeks away either. It's probably, probably measured in the order of months. Right, right. Okay. Yes, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not a quick process. We all know that. Okay, so then- That is certainly true. Not totally in our control either, right, as, as others have learned. So I think we want to be respectful too to the, the regulators and everyone else involved. Right, right. Hopefully it'll be a, go quicker than what Varro Money has, uh, has experienced, which is yeah, certainly a, a multi-year process. But anyway, let's, let's talk about ODX for, for a second. Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously you, you made a big splash. I, I, still, I still maintain it was probably the, it was the biggest uh, partnership uh, in the history of fintech when you announced that you were you know, going, you know, going to be Chase's partner for for online small business loans and maybe we can start off with that so when you signed i think it was 2015 i think it was like yeah four years ago right around now i think from memory when you announced that Mm -hmm. uh, deal did you did you expect it was going to you know last for five ten years did you feel like four years or thereabouts was about right i mean what, what what did you think back then yeah, I think both back then and until relatively recently, like, you know, as, as much as, you know, seven or eight months ago, you know, we really thought it was a long-term partnership kind of in that five to 10 year uh, time frame. Um, we always knew that partnering with Chase, they are, you know, the biggest bank, they have the largest IT budget. And if anyone was going to try to build a solution themselves over time, it was probably them. 
Right. Um, but, you know, so, uh, I got asked a question similar to this uh, a couple weeks ago, and someone said, you know, did you feel used by the whole <laughs> experience? And, um, you know, I know I, not at all. I mean, even even knowing what wound up happening, I would do it again. And, and the reasoning why is, you know, it actually made us a better company, not only for the ODX business, but, but in terms of even how we operate the company today. Chase had a very high standard for compliance and data security and business continuity and, you know, how they um, thought about their customers. And we built a successful program, and I think we're very proud of that. And uh, if you look at the loss rates, the volumes we achieve, we, we, we can't discuss these things publicly. But, you know, Chase also said in their public remarks that OnDeck was a fantastic partner and to work with. And, and so we're proud of what we did. I think we moved the ball forward in online small business lending, as you said, as a result of that partnership. You know, what happened, simply put, was there was a change in leadership at Chase, you know, earlier this year. And kind of with that is a strategic review. And, and I think Chase is at a point where, you know, they were either going to have to invest a lot of money over the next three to five years, kind of deepening the relationship with on deck, extending it to more products. You know, that, that was not a small investment on their side uh, to make. And they felt like, well, you know, we're, we're chasing the point of arrival for this, even if it's three to five years down the road, probably is eventually bringing it onto our system. So, mm-hmm. you know, what we learned from it, I think, is that Chase is one of the few banks in the country, I think, that can make that trade just given the size of their technology investment. And what we've learned, um, you know, we, we've announced several other banks, PNC, we've recently announced Investors Bank, we have some other banks we expect to sign between now and the end of the year. Um, we may not announce them till next year. But what we're learning is that not every bank is, is prepared to make that investment. And, and many of the smaller banks may never be able to make that investment on their own. And partnership really is the right strategy uh, for them. Right. So yeah, I mean, that's what, like, do you think you need to be a top a top 10, top 25 bank to be able to really get something that is, you know, as good of an experience as an on-deck customer gets and uh, with all of the, you know, the, the effort that goes into that in many, on many fronts, not just tech, it's marketing and, and all kinds of things. So is that, right. like, do you, do you feel like, what, what size bank do you think realistically can pull that off? Yeah, so I would say I don't think it's limited to the top 10 or 25. I mean, there's kind of a, a sweet spot where you're big enough to um, have a customer base and a sophistication level that would allow you, because as you said, it's not just implementing the technology. It's absolutely about your credit modeling and your, your marketing strategy and how you approach your borrowers. But also, you know, what we did learn uh, with the investors bank deal in particular is working with a slightly smaller bank can go faster. Right. Uh, there are fewer committees to go through and fewer hoops to jump through to get approval for different projects and the integration can be smoother. And so we, um, we haven't talked publicly about our timeline with Investors Bank, but suffice it to say the, what I did say on our prior earnings calls was the sales cycle was faster there than we experienced at the larger banks. And uh, the time to implement will be, will be dramatically, I think, smaller as well. So that's what we're learning. You know, I think so top 10, top 25 banks feels a little restrictive. You know, top 100, top 200 banks feels like the, the sweeter spot maybe overall. Uh, but you're absolutely right. A very, very small community bank we haven't yet modularized the on-deck uh, technology. And also there's a business case issue, right? How much are you going to actually be able to invest at, at that size of an institution to, to make the business case close? So I think you know, expanding our universe, though, from the top 10 to the top 100 or 200 will keep us busy for a few years, and uh, we'll, we'll start with that. <laughs> right, right. Yes, no, no doubt, no doubt. 
So then what, what are the, I mean, obviously with Chase, I mean, the fact that you had that relationship must make all these others, I mean, even, even the fact that the Chase is going away, you pulled it off without any major hiccups, at least from ex- externally. <laughs> <laughs> we don't, we don't hear anything. So I, I imagine that's a, that's a, I mean, if you've done it with Chase, people say, well, you know, they can certainly get the capability of doing it with anybody. I mean, how much does, how much did that really, the Chase kind of partnership drive the rest of these discussions? Yeah, look, I think uh, it, w- it was a big deal. Um, you know, it's sort of uh, one one um, person referred to it as the good housekeeping seal of approval, and and I think that that absolutely had had a, an effect on on building the ODX uh, business up, and and it's still an asset today, even even though Chase is no longer uh, going to be working with us. We're still you know working through a wind down period on the portfolio, but. You know, we also were very happy that our pipeline didn't suffer when we made the announcement, because that was obviously a source of concern. Sure. You know, what will happen to the banks that are exploring an ODX solution? Because it is a longer sales cycle, and and everyone you know stood stood firm, and I think uh, and and that was good to see as well. So so I think that that's right. We you know did get a capability uplift from implementing the 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 program with Chase, and um, and I think it is still serving us well. Uh, you know, going forward. Right, right. Okay, well, we're running out of time, but before I let you go, you know, you have a you have a great window into into the health of small businesses, even sector by sector. I'm curious to to see. Are you you know you, you hear about you know I was listening to I think it was NPR the other day talking about CEO confidence levels are, are lower than they were you know a, a year ago, and so I'm curious about what you're seeing as far as in the small business community are. Are you seeing any hints of any pockets of slowdown or do you feel like people are still confident and still taking out loans to buy new equipment to expand their business? I mean, what's it like out there? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And we have a lot of data coming in to, to inform our perspective on this. And so what we've said, you know, previously uh, about 2019, earlier this year, we did see a little bit of weakness in transportation and manufacturing. And I think a lot of that was related to some of the trade uncertainty mm-hmm. uh, that we've had, right? Fewer imports at our ports uh, lead to fewer goods shipped across the country. And, you know, it really hit uh, in the transportation space, some of the owner operators out there, uh, you know, the spot rates went down, uh, manufacturing uh, volumes declined a little bit as well. And so that is, um, you know, because obviously if we're exporting as well and those exports are being impacted by tariffs, uh, you know, it could be, could be a challenge. And so, so we did see some of that earlier in the year. You know, currently, I would say we are not sort of publicly talking about anything uh, dramatic. We think the American consumer is still strong. Um, and I think there's a lot of data sources that back that up. But to your point, the business climate and the business outlook is a little bit more conservative than it was last year. So if you look at sort of there's a small business optimism index that I think is run out of the University of Michigan, uh, and you've got the CEO uh, temperature gauge that you just mentioned, I think, you know, businesses are still optimistic about the future, but maybe a little bit less so than they were a year ago. And that's probably influencing demand for loans a little bit. So, so I think that's our, our read on it right now, just a little bit more caution especially as we head into an election year in the U.S., obviously a really uh, different set of options in front of the American uh, you know, populace in terms of voting. So I think you're going to see some, some uncertainty lead up to the election. And we actually saw that a little bit even in Australia, where there was an election uh, not too long ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, there's a little bit of a slowdown in business investment right up to that election because people don't know who's going to win and, and, and what their policies are going to be. Right, right. Got it. Okay. So then final question then. Looking through into the future, what's what's the long game for on deck? If we if we get back together, Noah, in in three years' time, what what do you hope you will have achieved? 
Yeah, it's uh, you know a great question. So I do think, as we talked about earlier, this on-deck bank idea is pretty exciting, mm-hmm. and I do think it'll take a couple years to get there because, as you noted, uh, you know, and there's a number of applications going through the process now. Uh, it takes a while, but we again we're in it for the long haul. And so the idea of on-deck bank being the digital bank for small business is very exciting, and we think we could spend the next five or ten years really working on that vision, building it out and just creating a killer set of tools for our customers to manage their cash flow. And, and when they have extra cash, we can probably pay a more competitive rate than, than they're getting today from their current bank. And when they're in need of uh, cash flow for the day-to-day uh, you know, expenses, we'll have products for that. And then when they're in need of cash uh, you know, for investments, uh, you know, we have a term loan product today that deals with that. But we could also offer potentially SBA products uh, over time or secured lending products like equipment finance or asset-backed lending over time as well. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so my hope is three years from now, we have a wider, you know, maybe much wider variety of products to, to serve our customers with. Hopefully, we figured out how to navigate the overall bank charter process. And we've started to succeed in repositioning ourselves in the market as, hey, you knew us as a leader in online lending, but now really know us more as a digital bank for small business. And, and that would be a, a lot to get done in three years, but we'd be pretty excited if we did. Okay. Well, well good luck with that. Um, I know it's not going to be easy. But anyway, I really appreciate you coming on the show today, Noah. Thanks so much, Peter. Always a pleasure. Okay. See ya. The lines continue to blur in fintech between lending and digital banking and savings and all these different silos of, of products are really, the fintech companies are now becoming diversified financial institutions. And, you know, this is going to be a long process. As Noah, Noah mentions, getting, getting a bank license is not a trivial process. But looking down the track, you can see that, you know, consumers and small businesses are really going to be well served. Better served than they've ever been with these options of you know, digitally native companies that are now well established in you know in their sector and you know offering a full suite of banking services. It's a, it's a really exciting time, I think, to to be involved in uh, in finance. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening, and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Today's episode was sponsored by Lendit Fintech USA, the world's largest fintech event dedicated to lending and digital banking. It's happening on May 13th and 14th, 2020 at the Javits Center in New York. Lending and banking are converging and Lendit Fintech immerses you in the most important trends of the day. Meet the people who matter, learn from the experts and get business done. Lendit Fintech, lending and banking connected. Go to lendit.com slash USA to register.